0: Stay tuned for part two of our sit down with Peaches Christ. We're about to discuss Showgirls, reality TV, Madonna. We got a lot to talk about. But if you haven't heard part one, take a listen. We talk about all of Peaches' inspirations like John Waters, RuPaul, that time that RuPaul basically announced that she was working on Drag Race at one of Peaches' midnight mass events all the background you need is in part one. You could listen to part two without listening to part one, but wouldn't that make much more sense if you listen to part one first of our sit down with peaches Christ? I don't know. I think so. And now part two.
1: Yeah. I'm still, it's still bizarre to me. And, um, and I definitely have benefited, uh, from the success of it. You know, certainly, um, having friends, uh, some some of the queens i knew before they went on the show like bob uh i I was bob was actually in one of my shows before you know bob went on drag race and i knew bianca bianca in many ways is more of a peer to myself and varla coco jackie because we all knew bianca del rio bianca was you know one of i mean bianca's only a year younger than i am so we all grew up together And I would say Bianca is the only one of the sort of quote unquote legends besides Chad Michaels, but, you know, uh, who who we were familiar with that went on the show. And, you know, she was Bianca Del Rio that people knew. And now she's Bianca Del Rio who sells out, you know, Wembley and has 2.3 million followers on instagram like it yeah. is surreal it's bizarre but bianca herself has not changed <laughs> like you know right she's doing the same stuff she did then it's just you know it's just been exposed to a lot of much bigger audience
0: well i live in new york city so i was going to the intermezzo oh, yeah. brunch with miss right. bianca del rio right. back. but when she got drag race there was this buzz around new york of like she won i mean it wasn't right like out there, it was like episode one and all around New York City, people were like, no, she actually wins the season. So I don't know if that was just like, cause she's great or something, but like, it was like, oh no, Bianca's gonna win. So yeah, yeah. it's a little strange, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's surreal. And and ben De La Creme I worked with before she went on Drag Race. So Jinx I knew before she went on Drag Race. So there's, I have to say I'm friends with a lot of winners. you're just realizing realizing this right yeah yeah yeah
0: and we've had a lot of them on this show we had lady bunny on like so yeah i mean it's but it's but it's you've seen it's like benefited your career in a sense that like you're working with them and they draw
1: yeah and you know a lot of the big question is why haven't you know, uh, more of us gone on Drag Racer auditioned. And I will be totally honest and say that I completely struggled with that and, you know, decided that for me, um, not to say that I definitely would have gone on, on, you know, but I, I, you know, didn't ever audition. Um, And for me, I'm really, like, I would, of course, I would love to have that sort of level of money um, and stuff. I mean, that's really lovely. But I don't think I would have succeeded in that format, right? Like, it's a very specific thing. I'm, I'm, my, my success is being a producer, writer, director. You know, I'd be better off working on Drag Race behind the scenes than in front of the camera. Uh, I'm not competitive at all. Um, but getting to produce and write and direct for people who have those audiences has certainly benefited my career, you know, my, my biggest fear is I'd go on that show and be kicked off, you know, second because I don't know how to sew or whatever. At least I'm realistic about it, you know.
0: Yes. um, Yes and yes. Um, What about, like, so you never really, I mean, you thought of it, but you never really thought of it.
1: No, I did. I mean, I think that um, any of us, uh, I know I've talked with Varla and Coco um, about it a lot. Um, And, um, yeah, I mean, I think there was this window where it would have been smart for us to have tried it. The window around when Bianca went on. um, Like, I think Varla would be so good on that show. I think she would be so great because she's this hunky muscle man, you know, that, 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 that people, like... Gay twinks would just love because she's a total daddy, like a muscle daddy. Yeah, but then she becomes this femme Varla Jean Merman, and she's completely flexible and malleable and can do like anything. Whereas Coco and Peaches Christ tend to be more uh, defined, and our, our skill sets are, uh, you know, like it would be strange to see Coco have to do all those different challenges, right? Um, certainly, a queen like Dina Martina uh, or um, you know Christine you know, would not fare well on Drag Race, but, you know, are incredible, legendary, amazing performers. And so I think for me, it was that thing where it was kind of like, I think it's best to not go on the show, but to um, be a fan of the show, admire the show, and work with people from the show. And that, that's worked out for me pretty okay.
0: That makes sense. Now, when you speak of Star Booty, you mentioned that it was a shit of a movie or whatever you
1: just said. <laughs> it's so, fantastic garbage.
0: Well, then the fantastic garbage, that makes my segue into Showgirls. Yes. Let's talk about that, Like because that was one of your inspirations for Midnight Mass. So mm-hmm. talk to me about Showgirls, your relationship with Showgirls, when you first like decided to choose that as subject matter.
1: Uh, well, we we booked it in the very first season of Midnight Mass, which was 1998. And in fact, it was so confusing to the film booker down in L.A. that they actually, when I asked for Showgirls, they booked the wrong title. They booked another movie from the same year called Strip Tease uh, with Demi Moore, which is sort of a forgotten film. But it did come out the same year that Showgirls came out. And so they called me back and I said, no, I want Showgirls, you know, the Verhoeven movie with Elizabeth Berkeley. And They were like, why would you want that? I said, just trust me, just book it, you know? And so we booked it at Midnight Mass and we advertised free lap dances with every large popcorn. And, uh, and you know, I made good on my promise. I, I booked all these hideous, monstrous performers to be the lap dancers and the audience came in and it was, you know, a sold out, raucous, wild rock concert of a show. And, you know, Nomi Malone kind of became our goddess. And then for the next 20 years, literally for 20 years, I I had a massive Showgirls event um, every year in San Francisco. And and then kind of took it on the road, you know. Um, So it went to Seattle and New York and L.A. and some different places. But that was the show that was very much about celebrating that movie and our worship of the film.
0: I mean, so tell me about what you think of the movie. Did you love it? Is it crap? Is it brilliant? Okay.
1: Lots- so I think there's this idea. Um, I, I describe it like this there's a younger generation than mine. And maybe it's not even generational, but like people described films like Valley of the Dolls and Mommy Dearest and Showgirls as being bad. Now, I think there's this audience that would include me that never saw them as being bad. <laughs> like, I went to Showgirls, I saw Mommy Dearest for the first time, I saw Whatever Happened to Baby Jane for the first time, or Valley of the Dolls, and I did not think they were bad movies. I loved them, I wanted to see them again. Those over-the-top performances, those sort of larger-than-life camp performances that men are uh, given awards for, you know, Al Pacino, in Scarface, you know, he's amazing, he's brilliant. You know Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. He's genius, you know. But women, when women do it, it's, it's considered trash. Uh, they embarrass themselves. Well, gay men of a certain mindset don't see it that way. We love Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest. Earnestly, mm-hmm. earnestly love her. It's not this cynical hate watching that you find with cult movies like The Room where people go and watch The Room, and they love to hate it, they love how bad it is, they love how awkward it is, you know? And I find that to be a bit cynical, you know? For for me, I actually want to screen showgirls for an audience of a 1,000 people at the Castro Theater who love showgirls. And that's what it is, it really is. um, Now, is it bad in a conventional sense? Can we recognize what's awkward about it, what's over the top about it? Of course. But it doesn't matter to us. We still think it's fabulous, you know.
0: We still think it's fabulous. But, but do you think, like, okay, do you think that when they were making the movie that they knew it was bad? I mean, I know that's a dumb no. question.
1: Do you think, no, think. I, think, no. I, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough to have, uh, you know, I'm so obsessed with Showgirls that, like, you know, when I, when I, when I, when I you know, screened it over the years, I was able to ask different people from the movie to come. So I've, I've like got, gotten to meet, you know, members of the crew, like, uh, the, the lead makeup designer and pick her brain. Um, also Patrick Bristow, who plays Marty in the film, the dance instructor who yells, thrust it, thrust it. Patrick, you know, uh, was in Showgirls and, uh, is also in my film, All About Evil. Uh, and Patrick is, uh, uh, What's the word? He's just a really smart, generous, talented gay, gay performer. I mean, he was openly gay. He was on the Ellen sitcom, you know, in the, in the 90s as an openly gay man before Ellen came out, you know? And Patrick will tell you that on the set of that movie, um, they all thought they were making kind of an earnest expose of the life of a showgirl. Um, but Verhoeven, when they would do a take, Would would kind of humiliate them and tell them they weren't acting enough to make it bigger. And for that thrust it scene, Patrick says, you know, he was so beaten down that he eventually just, you know, got on his knees and was slamming the floor and screaming thrust it at her vagina, almost as a fuck you to Verhoeven. Like, how big do you want it, bitch? You know, I I can bake it big. And when he did that, Verhoeven was like, excellent, bravo. You know, wow. so Verhoeven and the script by Joe Estherhouse um, are responsible for this thing, and it was Elizabeth Berkeley who was crucified for it unfairly, crucified, destroyed, humiliated, uh, dragged through the uh, the the ringer on the movie. But no, I think I think Verhoeven is a brilliant filmmaker. I think he's super talented. Um, I think. Joe Esterhaus is not a brilliant screenwriter. I think he's kind of a cheeseball and a misogynist. And I think that combination of this brilliant Dutch, you know, filmmaker making his version of a Hollywood movie, which worked so well in Basic Instinct and worked so well in, you know, Starship Troopers, it it was the perfect combination, you know, with Showgirls for it to kind of blow up into this fantastic disaster.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, didn't they want it to be like you know, like an expose on the life of a showgirl in Vegas, like
1: Yeah, absolutely. Serious-ish. And you know, if you're really interested in this, and actually even if you're not interested in it, and, and you just like cinema, uh, and, and, and are interested in sort of how this all came to be. There's this amazing documentary that I was lucky enough to be asked to be in and part of called You Don't Know Me. Um, and, which uh, I
0: was going to bring up. Yeah. So okay, let's talk yeah.
1: about so, that. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really genius because I mean, I have to tell you, when I was asked to be in this film, I thought, okay, uh, it's another project where a student's going to interview me and nothing's ever going to come from it, you know, um, which is like, probably 80% of the things that you know, I'm asked to do, which is fine. It's all part of the process. You know, most movies that are attempted, I mean, when a movie is finished and it gets out into the world, it, you should applaud it no matter what because so much work has gone into getting it out there. But this filmmaker, Jeffrey, he told me he was going to send me sound equipment and then call me on the phone. I was going to record my interview, not on camera, but on this, this fancy sound equipment and then send it back to him, FedEx. And that's how we did it. And then he asked for footage, so I sent him uh, hard drives that he sent. No, no, he actually flew to San Francisco and met with my assistant and and he loaded up all this archival footage of pizza shows onto a hard drive okay and then years later, after honestly forgetting about it, you know, um, I get an email from him saying uh, it's premiering in Tribeca." <laughs> And I'm like, what? How is it even a movie you didn't even film us? You know, Uh, what are you talking about? Like this thing that I thought was your grad student is premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival and it premiered there and it got fantastic reviews. And then it's going on to have this huge uh, festival uh, tour. And what it is really is found footage. It's all the media clips, all the news clips of them talking about what their vision of Showgirls is. And then, you know, what actually happened and how it was destroyed by the press, destroyed by the critics. Elizabeth Berkeley was destroyed. And then how little by little, people like myself uh, and other folks who really genuinely loved it have kind of given it this sort of second, third, fourth life.
0: So what was the, like, what was not the point, but like, what did they want to try to show with You Don't Know Me?
1: Like, I think what they do, and I, I love this, is it goes from... Uh, a group of people basically in the first act saying, oh my God, this thing that's supposed to be this, you know, dramatic expose is a piece of shit. And that and they actually put that on the, the thing. It's like, this is a piece of shit. And they go through all the ways that people think it's a piece of shit. Um, Jeffrey brilliantly intercuts all of the films of Verhoeven to kind of show how Showgirls is similar to these other films, many of which are considered masterpieces. So then they go into the second act and talk about all the ways in which Showgirls is in fact a masterpiece. And we were, we, audiences were clueless. They didn't get that it was a masterpiece. And here's all the ways it was a masterpiece. By the third act, they've infused all these ideas and declare it a masterpiece of shit. And you know, that's kind of the, the scope of how the movie works. And I think by the end, uh, I think the filmmaker and the 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 story uh, is is just very compelling, and you know, it, and it nicely ends. Part of the ending is with Elizabeth, you know, uh, being at the F- Hollywood Forever Cemetery screening, where thousands of people showed up to see it, and you know, looking gorgeous. I mean, just looking like a million bucks. And decades later, this thing that was so painful for her, getting to you know, introduce it. And uh, and feel the love of the audience, you know. Um, and Verhoeven is comes off, I think, really cool in the film. You know, I think by the end of the movie, you go, Okay, he, he's he's great. Um, it's, it's Esther House who you realize, like, really, he meant it, he wrote that script, and he meant it.
0: Do you think you don't know me? Like, changed? I mean, like, I know it wasn't like worldwide, and I mean, yeah. it was, but like, do you think, in a way, it shed different light and changed people's perception on showgirls or am That's I being good? Point. Am I being too deep on this whole thing?
1: I don't know. You know, I think maybe I'm in too deep on the one side of it. Right. So I think, you know, you probably need to ask people who had an indifferent opinion or maybe thought it was dumb or crappy to see if, uh, the movie, uh, maybe ch- shifted their view. Um, and, uh, Ironically, there's another Showgirls documentary coming out that was being made at the same time as You Don't Know Me that I did shoot a video uh, for, like a film, filmed interview. And that uh, film, I think, will be a really great... Um, I, I think it'll be a great movie to come out as well because it's going to tell more of the actual behind-the-scenes story. Whereas You Don't Know Me is more of a critical analysis... Um, this is more what, how did this movie get made? What was it like working on the sets? They've interviewed, you know, the stars of the movie, they've interviewed um, uh, Gita Gershon and Paul Verhoeven and, you know, Kyle MacLachlan and that movie's called Goddess. So, oh, wow.
0: And yeah, when does that, that come out? that comes out. I
1: don't know, but it's the same director who did another movie I'm in called I Am Divine. His name is Jeffrey Schwartz. And he's done uh, a documentary called Vito for HBO. And he's a really brilliant filmmaker. And so I'm glad that he's making this movie goddess. And I'm glad that, you know, the, the, the saga of showgirls will continue to kind of remain interesting and a mystery to people. Do you,
0: so have you ever talked to Elizabeth Berkeley? I mean, like you said, like she, you think that she was unfairly trashed for all of this? Like, Mm -hmm. and what do you think? Like, did this ruin her career? I mean, like she has a career, but it derailed it. Like, what do you think about all that?
1: I think, again, I think uh, women are held to a different standard in Hollywood than men are. I think uh, Faye Dunaway and Elizabeth Berkeley and um, were um, unfairly sort of crucified for the lack of success of those films or for people thinking they went too far. Um, and I do think Elizabeth's career, especially as a young woman, especially as this huge big Hollywood feature comes out, it was really supposed to launch her career, you know, as a Julia Roberts, you know, she, w- she went from being a sitcom actor to starring in a multi million dollar Hollywood blockbuster that really should have made her, you know, an Angelina Jolie or something, you know, along those lines. And so she has not had that career. And I think it's unfair. Um, and I'm glad that she's still working. I mean, she was still, you know, great in First Wives Club and, um, you know, has done uh, a book for girls. Uh, you know, I think she, I think even that in some ways is, is um, Elizabeth saying, I'm not Nomi Malone. Um, and yes, uh, she has been invited to uh, share the stage with me multiple times. Uh, and we've gotten very close multiple times, um, but it's never happened. And uh, I would love to do a show with her. And I understand her uh, reluctance. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, when they hear a drag queen named Peaches Christ is inviting you to come to screen. A camp movie that they star in, there's this sense that I'm going to, how should I say it? Well, Maxwell Caulfield, who stars in Greece too. Uh, Which is a, you know, a
0: classic movie.
1: It's so good, so classic. Good. And, I,
0: and I'm sorry, I listen to that soundtrack at times. It's a good soundtrack. <laughs> it's a great
1: soundtrack. It's totally underrated as a as a as a as a sequel. Yeah. Um, and so when he came, we did the stage show together. He's so handsome. And yes. I remember doing the stage show at the Castro and interviewing Maxwell and him, really kind of clamming up. And admittedly, um, me needing to kind of end in, in the interview. Um, earlier than I would have naturally because it it, it wasn't flowing and he and I got upstairs and he apologized profusely you know and he and I said well what what you know don't worry about it you know it's fine it was wonderful I don't think the audience you know but he and I knew that our chemistry was strange on stage and he kept apologizing and I said um please 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 don't he goes I'm gonna tell you the truth I'm from England drag queens are cunts and I went out on that stage with my battle armor on, ready to be humiliated and, you know, torn to shreds by you, you know, here you are this giant clown and you, I sat down and you said the nicest things about me and put me on the pedestal and, you know, channeled all this love from the audience. And he said, I went blank. I literally went blank because I was all prepared for a defense. And so I think there's this sense that I'm going to, if you haven't been to one of my shows or you haven't, and you only know the basics, you've seen pictures of me online licking a bloody knife or, you know, whatever Peaches looks like. Um, they they get on stage and I'm like literally a kid, you know, just saying, I love you so much. And let me ask you all these nerdy questions about the movie. And my job is to channel the love of the audience and to put them on a pedestal. Some people like Maxwell kind of, are, you know, uh, are, what's the word, you know, thrown off by it. And my sense is, if I were Elizabeth Berkeley, I might not know that my intentions are completely pure, you know?
0: That makes sense to me. Yeah. Especially when you've been ridiculed for
1: this for so long. Exactly. I mean, it's like, it's asking someone to, we wouldn't do this normally. It's asking someone to come and celebrate the thing that caused them to have PTSD. And that right. sounds dramatic, but like, this is, of course it caused her to have trauma, you know?
0: What about like, is she, have you ever talked to her about like, like, I mean, I, she's she's not in on the joke. Like, I don't think she knew when she was making this that it wasn't a good movie.
1: Yeah, no, she didn't. And uh, she did, you know, according, and I've done a bunch of shows with Rena Riffle, who plays uh, Penny Hope in the movie. And, you know, uh, I very much believe Rena and Patrick when they say that um, you know Verhoeven uh, was asking for this level of performance. You know, it's not limited to just Elizabeth; she just happens to be the the you know the hero of the film, the star. So it's mm-hmm. the most most noticeable and ridiculous because you 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 don't think of her as a protagonist. Um, but they they all say that Elizabeth was doing exactly what the director was asking her to do you know that that the first take was usually very natural you know and you know he would work them up into a frenzy so it sucks for her i mean it it is also why the movie is amazing and in you know is still screened to this day and has documentaries made about it and striptease is totally forgotten so right i you know, i don't you know what who knows you know
0: do you think, like, I mean, what are your thoughts on Showgirls? Horrible shit, like, classically shit, like you said. Like, we all love it as gay men th- at the very least.
1: Yeah, I think that um, Jeffrey's movie, Ma- Master- uh, "You Don't Know Me," where masterpiece of shit is sort of the uh, the end conclusion. I completely agree with that. I think, um, you know, I really, I mean. I love things that are considered bad, but there's the difference between bad bad and good bad. So, you know, bad bad to me is like boring, forgettable. Like I'm in the movie theater and I'm distracted by the exit sign because I'm that bored. Like to me, that's unforgivable, you know? Um, Whereas showgirls, yeah, sure, it might be bad in some ways, but you never get bored watching it. And, you know, it's, it's always exciting and fabulous. And, yeah, so uh, it's hard for me to even, really even just to call it bad. But, again, you know, I also, you know, screen and do a, a show that uh, celebrates Mommy Dearest, which is one of my favorite films that people think is terrible, you know. Um, yeah, I, lo- I love those movies.
0: What other movies do you put, because you're a movie guy, what other movies do you put in the, like, Showgirls, Mommy Dearest category?
1: Let's see. Um, well, there's a lot that are lesser known, you know, that, that um, unfortunately, especially doing these big shows at the Castro Theater where, you know, I do two shows in one day and it's 1,400 seats, you know, I have to sell, so almost 3,000 seats. Uh, I have to do these more popular titles, you know, uh, in order to sell tickets. But I I sort of missed the days of Midnight Mass uh, where, you know, I was in a 400 seat theater and people came just because we were doing a show, not necessarily because of the title. And so I was able to screen, you know, movies like Uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill or Beyond the Valley of the Dolls I think Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is another movie that people might write off as being a bad movie but I would actually argue that it's brilliant and amazing and uh, unlike anything you've seen Um, so yeah The Apple is another one if you haven't seen The Apple it's a musical Mm. uh, about Adam and Eve but done done through a disco tale and it's very much what people on the surface would call a bad movie, but I think it's fantastic. And you liked Grease 2. Love Grease 2. I love Grease 2. You know, it I think- It's Yeah, good. It's really good, you know, and, and again, another movie that people have written off as being bad. Uh, Teen Witch is another one. Teen Witch, you know, I've done a bunch at Midnight Mass. Um, which, yeah, it is bad in some ways, but why are we watching Top of that, you know, the rap number on, you know, the internet millions of times because we like it. It entertained us, you know. What about one of my favorites, Xanadu? Well, I love Xanadu, and I've done Xanadu at Midnight Mass. Um, that's one of the shows we did Drag Queen Roller Derby for. <laughs> uh, but we also had a whole pre-show, you know, uh, celebrating the music for the movie. And then um, a musical artist who I love, Jare Bear Jones, sang her song Xanadu, which is about gay, b- gay men loving Xanadu. <laughs>
0: And you're a Xana
1: dude. That's what you are.
0: I am. And I mean, talk about the music. Like, I still listen to that and I still listen to Grease 2 soundtrack all the time. So good. What about, I mean, do you watch reality TV at all?
1: Not as much as I used to. You know, we've got, we cut the cord on cable a while ago. um, So I tend to be, Unintentionally, I think with less uh, what's the word scrolling, you know, um, my my TV viewing has become much more intentional, not by design, kind of by accident, and I feel like I got into k holes of reality TV more when I had cable and was flipping channels, whereas now I I just haven't caught up with it.
0: I mean, cause it is to me the same concept, you know, especially like housewives is a big thing. That's like my thing, but you get into even worse, like 90 day fiance, love is blind, <laughs> love after lockup. You don't even need to watch these to understand. I could say love after well, lockup, I, you know what that I is. I
1: will tell you, David, that I overheard, this is how tragic I am. I overheard some friends who admittedly have the trashiest taste, I mean, they, they love garbage. Like they intentionally eat it Olive Garden or whatever. Um, And and they love um, all the Housewives shows and they love all the, you know, and they were talking about 90 Day Fiance in such a way that I had to go home and watch some of it just, just to see it, just to believe it. And I, I will say that I went down another K hole of like, I could, you know, once I'm in one of those seasons, I need to see it all the way through. So yes i have like, seen 90 housewives day is
0: one thing but when you get to like 90 day fiance and love it's the same concept it's so bad that right. you just can't look away
1: <laughs> i yeah, mean exactly well uh, yeah i mean i i think it's you're you're drawing a very good parallel between some of our enjoyment of these films and and then we have to argue well is that bad television you know someone's producing it someone it's by design you know it's still storytelling so
0: and it's really highly rated so is that bad tv if you're entertaining all of these people isn't that the point
1: no matter how bad it is I think it's exploitation, and I think that, you know, a lot of what I like is exploitation. I mean, you know, classically, the word exploitation right. when it when it comes to, like, film and stuff would be inclusive of a movie like Showgirls, uh, or even Mommy Dearest, which is about child abuse for entertainment, um, right. and I think, you know, something like Real Housewives is a modern form of exploitation, and maybe there's a the deliciousness in seeing these sort of rich Karens, you know have drama and fight and you know we get to root for them and you know have our villains and you know it's it's a new kind of exploitation
0: because it is exploitation because the thing is you get a salary for the first year it's not even that much money I mean if you Mm -hmm. factor in hair and makeup it costs you money and your second year salary is maybe you break even and like maybe the third year is when you see a little bit But you could be fired at any time. So Uh, there's no, oh, yeah, no, these casts change all the time. So there's a lot of people that last one season and you just didn't make it. Then there's other people, you know, three to four years, but it doesn't matter after four years, you're fired. And then even like nine or 10 years. So it's like, it's exploitation in the sense that you're being paid to cause drama and have it spill over on social media and really double down on social media. And then when we're done with you, we're done. And you go from however many hundred thousand dollars a year to zero and good luck. And I don't know, you're not going to go work at Bloomingdale's makeup counter when you're well known from a TV show. I don't know what you do. Right. Right. So to me, it's exploitation in the same sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of that stuff is designed, you know, I mean, it's kind of like drag race to sort of circle back. Like there are girls who have gone on that show and been able to launch massive careers but of course they don't get, whatever they get paid to do Drag Race is negligible. you know. Like nothing, it's nothing, nothing yeah. right? So it's, it's, it's way less than they'd make if they didn't go on the show for those few months. But we all know that by going on the show, you have the opportunity to make so much money afterwards through the visibility you then have. But that that's not what happens for everyone, right? There are girls who, you know, I've literally retired from drag after going on that show in ways they may not have, you know, had they not gone on the show. So it's yeah, you know, it's still it's still a, a, a crapshoot.
0: Do you think that you have to go on drag race now, like as an up-and-coming baby drag to make it?
1: Well, I would say that it certainly helps, and uh that my advice to young drag queens. Aspiring to do drag in a post Drag Race world is, do not set your sights on getting on Drag Race because the odds are not in your favor, no matter how talented you are. There, you know, there are only so many people that will get on every year, and and the uh, tide, you know, with with drag, this sort of uh, oversaturation. or or maybe I shouldn't say that, but yes, I think there is a sort of an over, there's a a, a bit of fatigue. I'm a massive Drag Race fan, and even I can't keep up, you know, like I can't watch, you know, the UK season and the Dutch season and the Thailand and, you know, now Canada and and the all-stars here. And, you know, it's so much that like, just focus on making a fantastic career for yourself. And if Drag Race ends up being part of that, great. But if not you know, that that you have something to fall back on. Because, I mean, the likelihood of people getting on Drag Race now is, is very low.
0: Yeah. Three things before we wrap up, just mm-hmm. things that I'm, so in addition, you also, which did the amazing Purple Rain and Apollonia was there. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was I, so, um, I mean. Prince can, is, a, I, yeah. I
0: love Prince. So, and I me mean, know, that's a movie like, is that so bad it's good? Because to me, that's just good, that movie. <laughs> I or think, is there a so bad part of it? I mean, I, I, there is. I mean, I, is. I can see it.
1: There is. It's funny watching it, because growing up, I loved, like, you. I mean, Prince. I had all the same. You know, Cyndi Lauper. Like, we were so lucky in the 80s, because oh pop my stars. Oh, my God. They, like, not to sound like that bitter old queen, but come on. Like Our music it, yeah. was, it's the best generation for music. The best generation for music and style, like, like yeah. you, go, you see the award shows from the 90s, 2000s, it's gotten more and more boring. And until Lady Gaga, you know, who's really doing something, you know, that's really uh, a reference to David Bowie and Madonna and, you know, all of that. But like in the 80s, we had Cyndi Lauper, Androgyny. You know, We had uh, Annie Lennox doing the Eurythmics. You had you yeah. know, George and Prince. I mean, it, even the heavy metal bands, you know, were, Lots of makeup and stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, Prince was so one of a kind and so inspiring. But watching Purple Rain, mm-hmm. you know, on repeat as an adult, I'm like, Ugh. you know, some of it's a little like, uh, oh God, this is a little problematic, right? But then they get into him doing, you know, Let's Go Crazy or whatever, and it is transformative. You know, you're at a Prince concert; it is so good. And Apollonia is quite good in it, you know. She is, yeah,
0: so well, she came she came to the screening, and she was was she a good sport, was she just oh, like the best,
1: and she's someone that I've stayed friendly with because uh, well, she's just so lovely and sweet, and what's interesting about um Apollonia because one thing a lot of the prince women have in common, the sort of the girls of prince um is that they. Uh, got into trouble later and found Jesus and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, I basically asked Apollonia, like, why wasn't that your story, you know, uh, Vanity and Sheila E. And, you know, we, we have, you know, a lot of women. Um, and, and, and she said, well, the difference really is that I was uh, created to look like a prince protege, but I was an actress who was brought in for an audition because when they wrote the movie, Vanity was supposed to play the part. She and Prince had drama. They needed to replace her quickly. And so they brought in a real actress. So, Apollonia, even Apollonia 6, the creation of the band and the music and sex shooter and all that, she was like, for me, it was all part of an acting gig. So I never got emotionally invested in it. And Prince never, you know, used any of like we had a very business type relationship and a friendship. Um, and so they always remained close. They never had a falling out. They never had drama, you know, things that are very normal uh, or traditional with his other girlfriends. Yeah. Um, Cause they were never romantically actually involved at all.
0: But there's something maybe just like Showgirls and Elizabeth Berkeley where you're kind of just Apollonia then, and that's true. I mean, like, what if you go for a TV show on that's ABC, true. you're seen as Apollonia.
1: Well, she did do, um, I think it was Dynasty. She did really. really? She oh. did act. Yeah, she did act, um, and and it was as uh, her full name, Apollonia Cotero. Cotero. Yeah, and um, and so she did these bits. But what she said, which I think. Uh, is interesting, and I've, I've met other uh, Hollywood folks who maybe didn't go through um, as much drama, is that she willingly uh, left the industry and was interested in leaving, and she married well. <laughs> you know, she she married a producer. Uh, she, you know, and, and like, she has a beautiful home in Hawaii, and she, you know, was able to kind of disappear and, and actually uh, focus on her just, I think, happiness. And so yeah. when you meet her, She's like, uh, as someone you know a lot of Hollywood people, uh, you know that there's a certain damage that can you know come along with show business. I'll say that Apollonia doesn't carry that baggage. She's very normal. Yeah,
0: that's good. And you know, I think there's a misperception like people think if you're in a movie or on a TV show that you're filthy rich. Marrying right. a big producer is a better way to go if you want yes. a financial statement. Yes, <laughs> yes, there's there's Taylor Swift and there's Lady Gaga. Yes. And there are exceptions like, you know, Jennifer Lopez. But yeah. that's not the average working person that goes from TV show to TV show. Right. So I get it. What about your take on when you did the behind the scenes for Midnight Mass and you did the kind of like, Truth or Dare, madonna <laughs> Oh, yes. I forgot uh, what you called
1: that. Spin the Bottle. Yes, yeah.
0: Spin the Bottle. It was like your Dragumentary, where you kind of did the behind-the-scenes for The Midnight Mass, and it was based on Madonna's Truth or Dare.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a film that was made for uh, our stage show. Uh, when we did uh, Sing Along Truth or Dare, which we did uh, a bunch of times. And so that film played as part of the the event. And so we put it on YouTube uh, so long ago that it was when YouTube only supported 10-minute videos. So we had to put it in chunks, you know, um, because, you know, it was like YouTube was brand new. So yes, that is very dated. Uh, it, it's very of that time, you know, there's like, a, um, an Osama Bin Laden reference and, you know, some other stuff in there. Well,
0: that's the thing. Speaking of Prince and Madonna, I mean, Prince, you could take it worse. You could do like Under the Cherry Moon or Graffiti Bridge.
1: Right. That's true.
0: And Madonna, I mean, who's that girl in Shanghai Surprise?
1: And the best of all, Body of Evidence. Body of Evidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> has to be seen to be believed in ter- terms of its badness. Yes. and right. i actually think it's 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 bad enough that it's enjoyable mm-hmm. um but truth or dare for me is a brilliant, brilliant. Uh, like genius film of an artist at work completely manipu- manipulated and completely produced but so well done and you know as a as a, a queer man of a certain age uh i want to wring the necks of young queers when they don't understand uh, the power of Madonna and say to them, this is a woman who at the height of her career, you know, when AIDS was ravaging the world and homophobia was at its height, you know, and people hated gays and they especially hated flamboyant gays and they really didn't want anything to do with gay men of color. She not only put them on stage with her, but she took them on talk shows. She put them in commercials. She brought, you know, flamboyant, uh, gay men of color to the forefront of a pop movement. And for that, you know, I think she deserves all trophies and prizes. Now, is she flawless? Of course not. She's ridiculous right now. Um, but but she's still a goddess and deserves our respect.
0: Do you think, like, do you still follow her on social media these days? Yes. <laughs> like, do you think Madonna has lost her
1: mind? Yes. And, uh, you know, I think that there's this sort of level of celebrity that one reaches where you kind of leave the planet in a way and you're Mm -hmm. living on this other planet. And I think she's been living on planet Madonna for so long. You know, I mean, to her credit, she had this vision of becoming Madonna, the Madonna we all know and love, and she became that Madonna. And then I think being that Madonna now for decades uh, is bound to warp your, you know, ability to stay in touch with, with normal people. And clearly she's out of touch. And I think, you know, I love Oprah Winfrey. I grew up watching Oprah Winfrey being from Maryland. You know, Oprah was a, a hometown hero. She was, you know, and Oprah built a career on being relatable, you know. Uh, and now she lives on planet Oprah. I think it just, it just happens, you know, where people, it's impossible for them to stay in touch. So poor Madonna just has no idea, you know, how she's coming off. And I actually, you know, still love her. And I went to the Madame X tour with my partner and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I'll say that her inability to see herself, to be self-aware is her biggest crutch. And I think that she doesn't, what's sad to me is I still see so much of what she does and says is coming from a place of insecurity. And and, you, and she's Madonna, You know, it's like you're Madonna. You could just relax and have fun and be fierce. You don't have to, like everything is so calculated and overanalyzed. Right. I would agree with all of that, which is,
0: I think at one point she was very self-aware of, things like that's her whole
1: career that's why she was so great that was the secret like same thing with oprah like very in touch madonna totally was was of the nightclub people and like when she
0: went left she knew she was going left so yeah it was all calculated yeah she was aware of it like in on the joke and i'm not sure that she is anymore
1: no and i cannot wait to see this biographical movie that she's making of herself
0: It's going to be interesting. And I I agree with you. I liked Madam X as a show more than I ever thought I would. I didn't think I would, but also then it's also interesting because she has always been kind of self-aware, but never with the acting. Like she never realized being a good actress or not, like what goes through your mind when you read like body of evidence or like a Shanghai surprise and you're like, this is it. I'm serious now. Like, how, I don't know. I mean, I've always wondered that. I mean, same thing with Elizabeth Berkeley. Like, I don't know how you read a script and not realize... Or maybe someone like Elizabeth Workley just says, uh, ka-ching, ka-ching, I don't give a Yeah, fuck.
1: I think with Elizabeth, she was so young. I forget how, what a- oh, she was very young, coming off the Saved by the Bell show, and probably when agents and managers realized the same duo that brought us basic instinct were making a new movie. Like, no one gave a shit about the script, right? It was like, who cares? You know, just sign on the dotted line. Um, whereas with Madonna, it's more baffling because she was already a pop star. She did have everything to lose, and she clearly wanted to be a movie star so badly that she kept showing up over and over again. I mean, not always, um, you know, was it a disaster, you know, with Evita and maybe um,
0: right. Dick Tracy,
1: um, but, but 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 nor was she Lady Gaga and A Star Is Born, right? Like she never got, that's what she wanted. You know, right. That's probably why Lady Gaga drives her nuts. You know, it's like, not only can Lady Gaga sing, really well. She also can act and now she's won an Emmy. You know that, like, Madonna would, would murder Lady Gaga if she could.
0: Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> no, I mean, yes. And it's just like, you look at, and this is such like a stereotypical thing to say based on her age, but you look, it's true, you look at like a Tina Turner, a Diana Ross, Cher. Cher has yeah. done it right. Like, yeah, just it's not even like act your age because that's, there's, that's I, no, I don't believe in yeah. age, Jamie. It's just like you said, you're a Madonna. So just own the fact that like it's your world. We just live in it. And you don't have to prove anymore with pink hair or whatever. And if she really loved all of that, more power to you. But I agree with you. I don't think you do. I think it's all for the to stay relevant in some worlds yeah, where absolutely. you are relevant. What about before we wrap up, speaking of Saved by the Bell, do you watch, did you watch the reboot? Like, are you an Elizabeth Berkley fan outside of Showgirls? Did you go down the Saved by the Bell rabbit hole the first time around and the
1: reboot? I did not. So I I think I was a little too old for Saved by the Bell, like in its first incarnation. So I never really, I don't have a nostalgia for it. So um, I have not watched the reboot.
0: Well, it's good.
1: Is it good? Okay, well, I'll have to check it out.
0: I mean, like, but I like it all. Like, 90210, I watched Melrose when it came back on, like, all of that stuff. Okay, yeah. So, what's next for you? As I mean, you're in quarantine. Tell us what else is going on before we say goodbye.
1: Sure. Uh, So, one of the things we're doing to keep uh, Peaches Christ Productions afloat, uh, since we can't be on stage, is we're pulling out old shows um, from the archives and doing live streams of them, where myself and the the stars will will host a live stream presentation of the show and do an audience Q and A. So, this coming weekend, Bianca Del Rio and I will do our Whatever Happened at Bianca Del Rio show. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and actually, Bianca's texting me as we're talking right now. So it's funny, I'm getting these text messages flashing up on the screen. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I think there some shows, actually, speaking of Madonna, what we're going to yes. talk about as part of the live stream is when Bianca and I did this show as part of the Feud premiere in Los Angeles. And we were told that someone was going to come in and uh, help direct the show. And we were saying, but we've already directed it. It's already a finished show. Like we're just, we're pre- presenting the show we've already done. Well, we still, this this person's going to come and meet you. And it was, uh, without giving too much away, uh, a very famous pop star's brother who uh, did uh, the, the Blonde Ambition tour Uh, who has the last name Ciccone and the first name Christopher. I I don't want to give it away who it is.
0: Right, someone who wrote a whole book (laughs) and all.
1: Yes, and uh, it was... An experience, and I, I'm going to get Bianca to tell a, you know the story of one of the rehearsals where the shit hit the fan, um, you know. So I think this show will be fun because there's some, some good, good behind the scenes, you know, gossip. To
0: share. You had me at Christopher
1: Chacone, so <laughs>
0: that's all I <laughs> need
1: to know. It's a mess, and uh, yeah. So I'm doing that, and then and then the other thing is I have just used this COVID time to develop a bunch of new projects. So Varla and I have a, a pilot that we've written. Uh, a pitch that's it's going out for a TV series, um, wow. and yeah, I'm excited about that. And then I'm um, working on a couple uh, feature screenplays, and you know, just just kind of after performing so much for for so long, you know, being on tour, which I loved, but it was very hard to like write another movie or create a TV series, you know, because I was on stage or whatever. So I've been using the time for that sort of thing.
0: That's good. So you'll have to come back on and tell us about the developments of all these things. That yeah. Absolutely. Well, listen, I appreciate you staying with us for this long, first of all. Of course. Thank, th- thanks for having me. Thank you for talking about an array of ta- uh, array of things that were on my mind. Where can everyone find you online?
1: Uh, just basically uh, all the social media stuff. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I, I've been validated so i have blue check marks on twitter and that's uh, official yeah and uh instagram and facebook so you can follow me there and then for the bianca show that we're doing it's peacheschrist.live.
0: and on instagram you're just peaches christ yes uh okay. the peaches christ yeah so everyone needs to follow the peaches christ because someone I else be... took
1: peaches christ you know, well listen
0: you it. have the blue check and that's all that counts exactly that's just how it works. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I will be watching that and everyone right. needs to stay in touch. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, David.
0: Take care.
1: All right, you too. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, go to cameo and book me on cameo and you can ask me anything there i'll answer whatever you want and i have a bargain basement price of ten dollars thank you guys see you soon